Good morning, church. Uh, here we are again in our living room, so to speak, and we just thank you for allowing us into yours. And it's probably a good thing that maybe I, I can't see you this morning because I'm sure that maybe you didn't get, fix your hair or whatever the way we do when we come here. But, boy, I miss you. I just, I just want to say that over and over. It's a, a strange time for all of us, actually. And uh, I miss seeing you and hugging on you and all that. But I know that it's um, just a matter of time that we'll... Get what somewhat back to normal, and we're talking about Palm Sunday today because that's what today is. And at the end of this message, we're, we're going to have communion. And I know it's a little different. I'm, I'm not being able to pass it out or whatever, but I know you all have bread in your house and you have some sort of juice or a, a, a liquid, so to speak. You know, I, I did some study on this and research. Uh, it was bothering me a little bit, but um, most of the things I found that. It's the sim- symbolism of it. If you want to know, <laughs> this is a hot dog bun, but it's bread, and I've got some juice here in a cup uh, that, that I'm going to use. So if you want to take communion together as the body of Christ this morning, as you we get ready, get into this message, I, I, I would just like for you to do that. A little boy was sick on Palm Sunday, and he stayed home from church with his mom, and his dad returned from church holding a, a palm branch. Little boy was curious and asked, What do you have that palm branch, Dad? The dad replied, You see, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him, so we got palm branches today. The little boy hung his head and he said, Oh man, the one Sunday I miss is the Sunday that Jesus shows up. This morning, as many of you know, it is Palm Sunday, uh, the day taken from the Gospels where the whole city threw a parade for Christ. As Jesus rode into the city, the people threw palm branches in anticipation of his coming. Thus, we get the word Palm Sunday. This day marked a time of celebration where Jesus was worshipped and praised. Perhaps this clip shows us maybe what it was, was like or looked like. Let's watch. Because even as we read of a celebration, we know that Friday is coming, that the cross is coming. We know that many in this same crowd will 
within a few short days exchanged words of praise to words of death. Shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, and then later shouting, crucify him, crucify him. This morning I want to focus on our attention on two uh, services, both which focus upon Jesus but with two different results. The first one is Luke 19, 36 through 38. Then the crowd spread out their coats on the road ahead of Jesus. As they reached the place where the road started down from the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Bless the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in his highest heaven. And then the second service switches as we, they stand before Pontius Pilate and the crowd that's there, Matthew 27, 15 through 22. Now it was the governor's custom to release one prisoner to the crowd each year during the Passover celebration, anyone they wanted. This year was a notorious criminal in prison, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one of you do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the Jewish leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent, them, sent this message. Leave that innocent man alone because I had a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and other leaders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So when the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back their reply, Barabbas. But if I release Barabbas, Pilate asked them. What should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they all shouted, Crucify him. The great evangelist Billy Graham has been quoted many times as saying that the greatest mission field in our country today is in our local church, the people sitting already in our churches. That is a sad fact to me. Many people know what to say, how to say it even how to act, but when the rubber meets the road, there is no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No salvation, just empty words, because there's no fruit of the Spirit in their lives. You know, when we come to Christ, our enemy wants to keep doubt in our mind that we really haven't made that that traveling or that trip from our, our heart to our head or from our head to our heart that we come to Christ. We always check ourselves, and he whispers often, man, you're not saved. You, you don't know Christ. You're not in the boat with Jesus. And we have to rebuke him with the word and in Jesus' name say, yes, I am. I gave my heart to him. If there's any way that we know for sure that we are in Christ, Galatians 5 really points that out because as we come to Christ and the Holy Spirit enters into us and we live that life, there are certain things that will come naturally out of us, which one of them, or the, the major is the fruit of the Spirit, that those that are in Christ, this flows out of our lives. I want to back up and start reading with verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
I talk about that sometimes, about the war that we fight within us, and this is the war. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of a fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading to every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. That's what happens when we're in Christ, that these things come out of our lives and the Holy Spirit has given us the power to overcome the evil that continually harasses us in our lives. We see a perfect example of these two passages this morning. On Sunday, Jesus came into the city with the people shouting and praising and, and praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. And then this scene switches. In just a few days, we see from this scene, from the Passion of Christ, what happens when the crowd changes. Let's watch.
The king shows up. They all brought their cups, poured it in the vat. The king shows up. They give him a silver cup. He goes to draw some wine, which represented the best the villagers had. He placed the cup under the spigot, turned the tap. The liquid poured out, and he took a drink. And the sad part about it, it was mostly water. The villagers thought, why waste my best wine? I'll just give them some water, and all the others will blend in, and it'll be fine. So the people reasoned, I'll just save the best for me. Today, Palm Sunday 2020, I, I ask you to choose to honor our great King Jesus Christ by giving him your very best, withholding nothing, giving him our all, actually. A second key is that a committed faith is relationship-driven. Many of those who gathered to throw their coats and palm branches into the streets, who shouted praises because it was a popular thing to do. It was trendy. Everybody was doing it. And perhaps some begin doing it with sincere motives, but the whole atmosphere changed. And later at the trial, they were the ones that were shouting to crucify Christ. In fact, for a brief moment, it was a trendy thing to do as well to make a mass murderer and criminal their hero when they shouted, we want Barabbas. It's the whole cliche that monkey see, monkey do, and we fit in. And I, I think sometimes for us it's, it's tough living in this world in which we live that is so against the church, so to speak, and so against Christ that it's, it's easy for us to go along with them. In our own lives, a committed faith comes only through a personal relationship with Christ, one where every day is fresh and new as he personally directs our steps. We have to maintain that personal relationship with Jesus in our lives, and we have to do it every day. It's not once a week or twice a week. It should be every day. The third key is that committed faith is not swayed or blocked by our personal trials and crisis. Our faith should be made stronger in this day in which we live. Instead of going the other way with the situations that we're faced with in America, in our world, our faith should be coming stronger every day. At the parade, it was trendy to offer praise. Everybody was doing it. But at the trial, to speak out for Jesus was risky, possibly even life-threatening to go against the crowd that surrounded them. Many of us come to Christ and expect everything to go good. Maybe some bad, but not too much of it. So when the bottom drops out of our lives, we often ask God why, thinking, this is not supposed to be the way that it is. I'm not supposed to be in quarantine. I don't want to stay home all the time. I know I should be able to work my regular job. I should be able to hang out with my friends. I should be able to eat out when I want. Our, our whole world has changed. I want my normal life back. If our faith is based on our situations or circumstances, it will never be committed. It will always be casual. In my life, I've been fortunate enough to go to many big Christian events, many packed large stadiums where uh, the praises for God just rock the entire arena. It's a surreal event where everyone is praising God. I was able to go to six Promise Keepers. Oh, I remember the one in Atlanta for pastors. It was, it was off the chart. Blessing. And then I went to, to four others, and then I went to the Million Man March in Washington, D.C., where the whole mall, there was a million men there praising God. I, I was a part of that. 
tens of thousands singing praises to God. It's a tremendous experience. But when returning home, while everything's still glowing from the worship experience, I told the guys that with me that it's easy to praise God at the event, but tomorrow on Monday morning, you'll face the hard task of going into a world that's not praising God at all. In fact, the world is mocking and laughing and is often angry. Anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-church. Will you praise God then? That is the, that is the point. That is where the rubber really meets the road. It is easy to be a believer within the context of worship, within the context of the church, but it's when we leave these doors, it's when it gets tougher. A committed faith takes the good with the bad, knowing that as we are promised in the midst of both good and bad, Jesus will never leave us. That's the point, or forsake us. He will stand with us as he is standing with us in this crisis that we find ourselves. The story is told of a little girl walking in a garden and noticed this particular beautiful flower. And she admired its beauty and enjoyed its fragrance. It's so pretty, she said. And as she looked down, she saw that that flower was in dirt and she pulled it up and took it and washed it with water. And it wasn't long before that flower faded. The gardener saw what the little girl had done. He said, you have destroyed my finest plant. I'm sorry, she said, but I didn't like it in this dirt. The gardener replied, I chose that spot. Mixed the soil because I knew that only there could it grow to be a beautiful flower. God has placed us exactly where he wants us. We must trust him. In the trusting, we eventually see that he is able to use our pressures, our trials, our difficulties to bring us to a new degree of spiritual beauty. True commitment, true contentment comes when we accept what God is doing and thank him for it, even in the midst of this world crisis in which we're in. So this morning, I ask you this question. Is your faith casual or committed? And only you can answer that. And as we approach this week where our Jesus suffered incredibly for us, in a week where our sins, past, present, and future, were the nails that hung him on that cross, and I ask you this morning, doesn't Jesus deserve a second look? Doesn't he deserve total control of our lives? Doesn't he deserve a personal relationship with you and I? This week, consider it all and choose to give it all to him. And perhaps for some of us, we remember when we accepted Jesus and allowed him to have that triumphal entry into our own hearts. But that moment, that experience has faded and before long, sometimes, the whole tragedy of it, we, we find ourselves joined with the other crowd, saying, give us Barabbas, saying, we love the mud more than we do you, Jesus. We only want you when we need you. Heaven forbid if that describes you this morning. If it does, we confess, we repent, we come back to Christ. We could do that in this very moment. So as we remember Jesus' great sacrifice, as we partake in Holy Communion together, the Lord's Supper, as his family, pray with me, if you would. Lord, I, I love you and I thank you and I, I pray, Holy Spirit, as you work in all these hearts this morning that listen to this, I just pray that you'd have your way. 
I pray, God, that we're open and honest to you that as you uncover something that shouldn't be there, our lack of faith, so to speak, or lack of love, that you might correct that. And in our heart of hearts, we say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. And you forgive us and you make it okay again. And we thank you for that, God. So uh, right now, as we take this Holy Communion, may it be be really meaningful to us that may it, it, it really bring us closer to you for we ask these things in the name of Christ amen first Corinthians 11 23 and 24 for this is what the Lord himself said and I pass it on to you just as I received it on the night when he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, as I say, almost every time that we do communion together, Every time we come to your table, I'm a loss for words. It's so beyond our humanness to understand the sacrifice that you did for us. But nonetheless, you said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And we're remembering you, Lord. We thank you for giving yourself for us that we might live free. And Lord, we thank you for your shedding your blood for the likes of us, that that blood flows over us, it cleanses us, it makes us fresh before the Father's eyes, and we thank you, we thank you 100% for that this morning. So right now, Lord, as we drink this cup, that we might realize the power that we have in your blood, the power to live free, the power to overcome evil, the power to overcome sin in our lives, and the power to be the people that you've called us to be. I ask these things in your precious name. Amen. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, You're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. I just pray this morning that God has spoken to your heart, that you feel closer than you did a few minutes ago. And as we've come together as his church again, we keep hearing over and over, we'll get through this thing together, but... Let's, let's pray for each other. Let's, let's, let's reach out to our neighbors if we can. Not so much touching them, but at least with texting and calling and whatever. And uh, as Steve had mentioned earlier to me that maybe we ought to just think of three or four more people that's in our church that we may just start, drop them a text or call them and see how they're doing and, and pray for each other. I love you guys, and this soon will pass. Father, again, I thank you for loving us. Thank you for this time together and allowing us into people's homes. This is God's living room in this place, but we've just moved it for a while. So thanks again for loving us. I just pray these folks stay safe. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.